0: Hey guys, if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. Every review helps us out, so if you enjoy us, leave us a five-star review, and we will appreciate it. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Seven Lamb Productions presents... Atlas Avenue Beat. Case One. The Silver Casket. Part Three. Scarface Sting.
1: Once again I was taken unawares. The stupid Russian and his companion found out I was going to meet up with Terence O'Reilly. I thought my phone was bugged. Turns out they'd been following Terrence. At least that's what I believed. I would have been more angry about the whole thing if the Russians didn't let me go after giving me a back massage, a case of Cuban cigars, and an anytime plane ticket to Costa Rica. They were actually really nice people, That or they just didn't understand the idea of torture. I tried to hold out as long as I could. Basically I wanted the vacation I knew they would offer. Then I told them that I would leave for good, stay away from Terrence and the whole O'Reilly family. After surviving the back rub, the present, and the round-trip ticket, I knew it was next. A shot to the back of the head. The problem was, it didn't scare me. They wouldn't make me leave this city and never come back. But I couldn't defeat them on my own. I would need help. And that's why, once again, I headed for Paul's house. It was nearly two in the afternoon and I reached Paul's house just as a dark gray cloud shrouded the area in gloomy darkness. Was this foreshadowing? Hopefully not.
2: Ha! Back so soon? I need a favor, Paul. If it's about letting you sleep with my wife, you better stop asking. I'm not going to let it happen again. (laughs) I'm just kidding with you. I know you didn't sleep with her. You didn't, didn't you? Seriously, did you sleep with my wife? What? No. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Come on in, Jimmy John. We went out to the back patio where
1: Paul's wife Lorraine sat at her table while their kids Ronald and Rebecca played Nights and dances. The air was becoming thick and it looked like it might rain at any moment. But Paul still wanted to take in what he considered clean city air.
2: Have a seat there, Jimmy.
0: Good afternoon, Jim.
2: Shut up, Lorraine. Locke wants to talk to me. Get your own PI friend. (laughs) Oh, Paul. No, seriously, Lorraine. Zip it.
1: Once again, being with Lorraine and Paul was awkward. They were always like this.
2: So what's up, Jimmy John? What brings you here? I already told you all I know about that O'Reilly fella, and I'll get you those files first thing Monday.
1: It's actually about someone else. Two people, to be exact. And I really hate to bother you, especially when you're not on the clock. Don't want to disrupt your weekend. My what?
2: Your weekend. My what? (sighs) Your three-day... My three-day weekend? (laughs) Oh, Jimmy Jong, you fell for it again. You made me say it. You're hilarious. Anyway, don't worry about it. I get them all the time. What do you need help with? Well, there's this Russian guy. Oh man, Russians? Screw the Reds, those commie bastards. You having trouble with this guy? Is he one of those annoying Russians? Is he one of those Russians that always has a Russian flag hanging from his belt and anytime you say a word that begins with R, he's all like, Go Russia? Uh, no. What? Is that a thing? I bet he says Van Moose a lot. Does he? He probably says it when he's leaving someplace. Like when he goes to the market. Does he say, "Hey Jim, I got a van. Moose. I have a market to get to." No, he he never said that. Honey, Russians don't sound like that. Yeah, well, I don't speak Russian. Too many clicks and beeps in that language. Oh wow, I'm uh,
1: not sure how to proceed. Okay, Paul, this this Russian guy and this other guy.
2: Another guy? Is this other guy Russian? I I
1: think he's American.
2: <laughs> well, that just rubs me the wrong way. It's the year 2018. We really shouldn't be mixing races. Unless it's purely to bang. Honey, the kids are here. Why wouldn't they be? I locked the fence. Paul, these men are going to kill me. How do you know? They told me. What were their exact words? I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. I'm no detective, but it seems like they're going to kill you. You are a detective. And no shit! When did they say this? Earlier today, when they captured me. Again.
1: But you got away? They let me go. But they said if they ever see me again, they'll kill me. Somehow they're tied into this whole O'Reilly deal. Do you know their names? Faces? The Russian is Kerry Wright Vendel Bootfuck. Buttfuck? No, Bootfook. And the American is named Carter Suckadick or something. But that won't
2: help. I believe they're off the grid. Ah, just like my grandma. Jimmy Jong, I'm gonna ask you a question and I want you to be completely honest. Is this all a cover up for some kinky gay sex play thing? What? No, how could this be a cover? Listen, I see it all the time. Lonely guy, works a lot, after getting his heart broken, concentrates too much on his job, takes on a little more than he can handle, then he meets two guys that say they're gonna kill him and he ends up needing help. And then they usually have sex together, You
1: literally just summarized my life and added the gay sex thing at the end. Well? No, Paul, I need to get these guys off my back and I need to find out who they are.
2: It's gonna be hard, Jimmy Jong. I can't just arrest these guys. I gotta catch them in the act or something.
3: Honey, maybe you should do something like a sting, like in that movie we saw?
2: Which movie? Scarface? I think she means the movie
1: The Sting, with Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Robert Redford and Paul Newman? I I don't know how else to describe that.
2: You mean Sundance Film Festival and salad dressing?
1: If that helps.
2: Yeah, but there was a sting in Scarface, too.
1: Yeah, but why would she reference Scarface when there's a movie, a very popular movie, named The Sting?
0: Actually, Jim, Paul's right. I was referencing Scarface.
1: What? Is there even a sting operation in Scarface? After Paul and Lorraine explain the famous scene in Scarface, where Al Pacino's character joins forces with his ex-partner from the war and creates a fake casino to catch an interracial dwarf duo in the act of stealing 40 diamonds, we head inside so Paul could call Captain Hiltz. I wanted to tell he and Lorraine that that never happens in Scarface, but I figured I'd let it go since there were more important matters to attend to. Taking on the O'Reilly case had snowballed into a giant ball of shit.
2: All right, Captain. Yes, I'll make sure it's smooth, and it won't take too long. Goodbye. We're good, Jimmy Jong, but I will have to talk to my partner. We need a solid plan of action.
1: I forgot about Paul's new partner. I think his name was Arthur, but I couldn't remember. I never met the guy, but Paul talked about him from time to time. Apparently he was a bit of a dunce, but a good officer, loyal and respectful. I think Paul was nervous about us meeting each other since I used to be Paul's partner before the incident, before I was forced to leave the KHPD.
2: Jimmy Jong, I'm going to set up a meeting with Arthur tonight, but I need you to stay here. What? No. You can't go back to your place. It's unsafe. Same with your office. Stay here for tonight, and tomorrow we'll catch those two bastards. Are you sure? Yeah, it's no problem. You can sleep in Ronald's room. Your son's room? I could just sleep on the couch. Actually, me and the wife have sex on that couch every night. Then we move to the kitchen table. The dining table. And then the bedroom. It's kind of a ritual. Sometimes we even have sex on that counter you're leaning on. Oh, Jesus. I think I'd rather just sleep at my place. No, Jimmy Jong, it's not safe. Don't worry, Ronald won't mind. He can sleep in his sister's room for the night.
1: If you say so.
2: I do. Now, relax. I'm gonna go meet up with Arthur. You need me to get you anything from the office?
1: No, I'm okay.
2: Good. Make yourself at home.
1: Paul left shortly after that. I ended up calling Edith and told her to take the rest of the day off. She asked if I was out seeing some whore. I told her no, but just at that moment, Lorraine walked by and offered me a glass of iced tea. "'Edith shouted a few obscenities over the phone "'and threatened to cut her head off with an axe, so I hung up. "'Next, I called Terence O'Reilly. "'The butler answered and informed me Terence was out for the evening. "'I left him a message informing him that I was still on the case. "'Last on my list of important calls was Angie. "'I called before it got too late. "'I wanted to make sure she answered and not her husband. "'She did. "'We had a short conversation about what was going on. "'I told her not to worry, and I still wanted to help her out.' She gave me some information about her husband and his work schedule. Apparently, he worked late Tuesdays and Thursdays, so this would work out perfectly. I could set up this sting tomorrow, meet up with O'Reilly Monday, catch Angie's 2 time in husband in the act on Tuesday. Things were falling into place, one step at a time. No, I don't want you to just sit down be comfortable. Around four o'clock I was starting to nod off. I was sitting on the couch, yes, the one Paul and Lorraine consistently had sex on and watching TV. Oh, uh, well, it was and I Lorraine and the kids had joined me, so I turned it from a Humphrey Bogart picture to SpongeBob. Huh? Are you I am, Captain. I Suddenly the front door burst open and Paul jumped into the room.
2: Oh. Get your hands off my wife!
1: Jesus Christ,
2: Paul! Oh. Okay, never mind. What was that all about, honey? Oh, nothing. Just an inside joke between all of us. Okay.
1: Another man entered the room behind Paul. This man was tall and burly. He had a buzz cut that made his head seem larger than it actually was. His chest stuck out. The man lifted weights. He wore a polo shirt with the imprint of a horse and jockey over his left pocket. His khaki pants were wrinkle-free and reached almost all the way to the ground. He bought a size larger than he needed. This must be...
2: Arthur Phelps, this is my old partner, Jimmy John Locke. It's actually just Jim. Jim Locke.
3: Right. Big Jimbo.
2: Nice to meet you. Oh god, not another nickname. I told King Arthur here what needed to be done, but I thought it would be better if we discussed our plan with you, Jimmy John. Okay. So let's head to the dining room. I'll grab us a couple beers, King Arthur, you bring the files, and Jimmy John, you bring that attitude, you sexy son of a bitch. What what attitude? Nice. By the way, Jimmy John, I don't think you're sleeping with my wife. I mean, you're not, right? No, of course not. Well, Lorraine's sleeping with someone.
1: Really? Even after all the sex you guys have on all the furniture?
2: She's been acting weird. Quiet. Reserved. I think that's just her personality.
3: Well, so I want to say it's nice to meet you finally, Jimbo.
1: You too, Arthur.
3: Paul here talks an awful lot about you. He says, uh... You are quite the cop. Well, all I can do is hope to live up to the standards you set, you know. Except for that little screw-up. Right. <laughs> because if I did that, I'd be kicked off the force, too. Yeah, I get it. How do you sleep at night?
1: Are you trying to start something with me?
3: No, I'm generally interested. Just, you have a Tempur-Pedic? you sleep on your stomach, on your side? How many comforters do you own?
2: Come on, who cares how Jimmy Jong sleeps? As long as it's not with my wife. <laughs> what is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. We're going to catch those guys who want to kill you.
3: Paul already told me they're Russian, so obviously I'm in. I hate the color red.
1: But have you guys discussed a plan of action?
3: A bit. And you know, I gotta say I'm excited about this little operation, but I'm also a bit confused. How so? Well, for one thing... I'm not sure what this operation actually entails. Like, when we say Sting, are we talking about Band of Gold? The Frida Payne song? No, the guy.
1: You're thinking of Fields of Gold, and no, we're not using the lead singer of the police.
3: Oh, okay. That's where I was confused. I knew it could only be one of two things. So, bees, right? We're talking about bee stings? No,
2: Paul, I, I thought you informed him. I did. King Arthur, I told you it's a sting operation. We're going to try to catch these guys in the act, like
3: in Scarface. Oh, why didn't you say that?
2: You
1: do know that there wasn't a sting in Scarface.
3: Sure there was, with the interracial dwarves. Told you. (laughs) Al Pacino even says, say hello to my little friends.
2: Right, because they all became friends at the end of the movie.
3: I
1: had no idea what freakin' movie they were talking about. I'm in no way a film buff, but even I knew there was no casino sting in the film Scarface. And definitely no interracial dwarves. Regardless, I acted as if I was wrong just so the conversation would progress. It was getting dark and we were just scratching the surface of our plan. It was nearly midnight. After hours of discussing tactics, planning escapes, and playing Connect 4, we concocted the perfect setup. We were all tired, but Paul had to make a few more calls. We would need a few sound guys to bug the room. We then called it a night. Arthur went home, and while Paul shouted over the phone, I headed up to little Ronald's room where he stood waiting.
2: I don't like that you're sleeping in my room tonight.
1: Well, it's just for the night. He had quite the vocabulary for a two-year-old, but that didn't shock me nearly as much as the English accent. I still didn't understand that.
2: Just don't rearrange any of my toys. And
0: don't touch my tea kettle. There's real tea in there.
1: Excuse me, Ronald. Do you watch the BBC?
0: Please don't spell in front of me. I don't understand. Are you going to start writing in cursive? No. Alright. Cheerios.
1: Ronald left the room dragging his blankie behind him. What an odd child. I'm glad it was just him though. Rebecca, his sister, actually scares me. Many times I've found her staring at wall corners or smiling at the TV when it was off. I never heard her talk. I wonder if she had an English accent as well. Ronald's bed was tiny. He was two years old, so it made sense. Just as I got settled in, the door creaked. Slightly creepily, but I've heard worse. Was this new case worth it all? I had more going on in the last two days than in the past eight months, and it wasn't going to get any easier. Maybe I shouldn't have taken on Angela's case, but who was I kidding? I did that just so I could see her again. I wanted to see her again. Not necessarily for a day, but maybe a little. Wow, Paul and Lorraine were at it. I shoved sheets into my ears and tried going to sleep. An hour later I was able to finally drift off. I startled awake. What was that? What time was it? The wall clock read 2.30. I rolled over on my other side. Standing by the now closed bedroom door was Rebecca. The tiny girl stood there facing me. She had a huge grin but said nothing. Her creepiness was, in the words of Rita Coolidge, at an all-time high. Rebecca continued to stand there and I continued to stare at her. I didn't go back to sleep for the rest of the night. Around 8 in the morning, Rebecca turned around and walked out of the room. Two minutes later, Paul entered the room.
2: You up, Jimmy Jones? I've been up for a while. Good. King Arthur just called and my team is in place. The building is bugged and ready to go. I just made a call to the O'Reilly fella and told him you'll be meeting him at Sunset Marley's. He knows about the operation, so while he's expecting you, he's not really expecting you. Hey Paul, I'm not sure how to put
1: this, but I think your daughter is possessed.
2: Haha, <laughs> she's our child. Of course we own her. That's, that's not what I meant. Possession is nine tenths of the law. Now come on Jimmy John, let's do this.
1: We went to the drop-off spot. The plan was simple. Paul would drive me to the corner of Atlas Avenue and 8th Street. I would walk the dirty streets of downtown Kenneth Heights until I reached the corner of Merlin 6th. There, a group of grey-colored buildings surrounded a small diner known as Sunset Marley's. Terence would be meeting me there. On the opposite corner of Merlin 6th is a bright green building behind the drab grey. It's easily accessible from a near alley. I've learned that the Russian likes colorful buildings, so if the pattern continues, Carter should bring me there. The green building is an abandoned hardware store. Last night Paul's team rigged it with cameras and bugs, that way they can catch everything on tape and stop the bastards before they can bump me off. We're here. Right.
2: Just relax, Jimmy John. We'll be right outside. Won't let anything happen to you.
1: I got off on Atlas Avenue on 8th. I could see the distant lights of faux Broadway. I turned around, though, and head the other way, away from the glamour and Ritz. I reached Merlin 6th at 847. Only three cars sat outside Sunset Marley's and one of them was Terence O'Reilly's. Jim? Oh, no. Could this be? I turned around.
3: It is you!
1: Angela, Angie, what are you doing here?
0: Just out for my morning stroll.
1: You really shouldn't stroll along Merrill Street. This place isn't kind of dames.
0: I've never had any trouble.
1: Well, you're about to, if you stick with me.
0: What's this about?
1: There's no time to explain. You need to go. Go where? But it was too late. A white van rolled out in the near alleyway. It parked, the Russian flag bumper sticker clearly visible on the back. The side door opened and Carter stepped out. A wide grin plastered on his face. Here we go.
0: Avenue Beat. Written and edited by Robert M. Lamb. Starring Jack Austin as Locke, Amy LaRay as Edith, Jose Caraballo as Paul, Brian Messick as Arthur, Shannon McCarthy as Lorraine, Megan Austin as Angela. Co-starring Hope Ennis, Amber Simpson, Shannon Lee, Mike Butler, Ashley Wilkins, Matthew Manning and Robert M. Lamb. Music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com If you enjoy this podcast don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. This has been a Seven Lamb Production.